I'm your host, David Frost. This is my strategic forecast where you get common sense market analysis. Today is Thursday, June 20, 2019. We're looking at a daily chart of the SPY or Spider, which is the proxy for the S&P 500. The first order of business tonight is to face the music. The reality is, did I actually think that we would close at a brand new all-time high? And the answer is, no, I did not. We talked about it. We said it was possible. It's always possible. Get there, we've discussed. Spike it a little bit, I thought was certainly possible. Did I think we were going to have a huge gap up this morning and close at an all-time new high? And the answer is no. So let's discuss right out of the chute what you do with this information. There's a couple of things. Number one is it takes, if the market gets near the all-time highs, it's a stone-cold short off the table. So that in and of itself was wrong. Might not be wrong next Tuesday, but it was wrong as it was laid on the table. Now, what do you do with this information? You revert back to the rules. In the course, especially at new highs, there's only one way to take a trade and know where you're wrong with a reasonable amount of risk. We call them signs and signals of a trend change, and they're all discussed at length in the course. Now let's talk about what we have right in front of us. We have a pretty decent volume day. Let's focus on that. We always go to, or at least I always go to, the first thing that jumps out on the chart. Well, the first thing that jumped out was obviously the new highs. We'll get back to that later. But I always also go down to see if anything else, especially the volume, jumps out at me. If the volume is like it was yesterday, or if it was light and it's been light, it doesn't really jump off the screen. Sometimes we don't even discuss it. In fact, most of the time, we don't discuss it if it's not anything that has value or meaning, at least how I look at things. How can we look at today's volume? Is this institutional participation for another leg higher in a rally? Not really, and I'll explain further why. One of the reasons is that 9 million of those shares came in in the last candle of the day. Now, normally, the last candle has pretty heavy volume anyway. You can go back in time and you can see these are all the last candle of the day. But 9 million is a big number. Does it mean anything by itself? Not really. But it does knock the volume down closer to 100 million and really doesn't put it into, let's all buy the market, it's going a hell of a lot higher, let's all rush to get in whatever we can. That's not the type of volume that was. The last two days, we also had decent volume. All three days were above the average daily volume. There's two ways to look at this. It's breaking out to new highs, and we're going to continue higher. That's obviously one way. And if we are, where are those numbers? We're going to get to that. The other way is it's exhaustion volume spread out over a few days, and it doesn't have to be over yet. So what does that mean? We are breaking out to new highs, and we don't have to end today. It could have ended today. It doesn't have to end today. Where else could it go? A lot of different traders, a lot of different people have many different methods they use to figure out 
where the market's going to go when it's at new highs, whether it's a stock or the S&P or whatever it is, how do you calculate where the stopping point will be? Well, the way I do it is I take the maximum I think the market can go if it's a melt-up, for example. Let's just say, for argument's sake, in a hypothetical scenario, the market went up for another four or five days in a row. We just kept grinding higher. Where is that price? Where would that final destination be in a melt-up? Well, there's two things. A, I teach how to calculate it in the course at Lazy E-Mini Trader, and B, I've already given you the number. It's about another 100 S&P handles up from here, give or take. Not going to give you the exact number. It really doesn't matter what the exact number is. The likelihood of it stopping at the exact number is pretty slim. So it's in the neighborhood of 100 S&P handles from where we are. Now, let's go to another chart and talk about the S&P. Here's a daily chart of the S&P E-mini 500 futures contract. Looks a little bit different than the spider chart. Changes the conversation a little bit. So I gave you the absolute top side as far as I'm concerned. If we were having a melt-up, where is that final destination? Not to say it has to happen in a week, but if we're just breaking out to new highs, where would the next major area of resistance be? About 100 S&P handles from where we are. That puts it at about 30.50, give or take. But since we're not going to be there in the morning, we have to work backwards and figure out what are the other stopping points We're at new highs. Well, we're at new highs in the SPY, but we're not at new highs in the futures contract. So let's talk about that a second. We're working backwards from the extreme, but when we work backwards, let's look at what's right in front of us. And what's interesting is, what's right in front of us is, this chart has not made new highs. What's up with that? How does that work? Well, without going into a lot of detail for two reasons. Number one is, it's not necessary. Number two is, I'll likely get most of them wrong because I think a lot of it is hocus pocus anyway. So back in May, May 1 was the high. This is the same high that we always look at. But back in May, we weren't looking at, and before May, we weren't looking at the September futures contract. We were trading in the June futures contract. So the pricing is different depending on what the future is pricing that particular index in. We don't need to go into any more detail than that. All we need to know is it's one of those back to the future deals. But what's important on this chart? What's the high? 29.67.75. What was the high today? The high was 29.64.50. It's not the same. We didn't make new highs in this contract. So right out of the chute, the first thing that jumps off this chart at me is the fact that we didn't make new highs. So immediately, I would have to assume that the old high from May 1 should be resistance. Today we got close. Tomorrow, maybe we go right through it. Today, they didn't even get there. I find this whole thing interesting. It's intriguing. Doesn't mean we're not going higher. I just find it interesting and I wanted to point it out. I don't think too many people are talking about this. Remember, I'm always looking for stuff that nobody else sees. Here's something we did see. So let's go back to a 60-minute chart and remember this bullish pattern that we discussed 
the 291.40 that we came up seven cents short of yesterday. We took off to the upside, and then we had the gap higher this morning to new highs on this chart. What we want to notice and what we want to point out is that this particular pattern played out as advertised. You don't know exactly how high it's going to go necessarily. Nobody could have predicted that type of gap higher and crap out, by the way, and then rebound right back up to the highs by the end of the day. That's a rodeo market, by the way. Not that I neglected to mention that. There's just been a lot of stuff. And keep in mind, this is live TV. And by the way, what's the first thing that jumps out on this chart? Or I should say the first and second thing. The first thing was the pattern we just discussed. The second thing is something we discuss quite frequently. Let's zoom in a little bit and talk about it further. Before we do, let me set the stage first. 293.24 is the gap left open from yesterday's close. We don't need this anymore. We may or may not need the 289. We know about it. I'm going to take it off the chart. Let's just clean things up a little bit. I like things tidy. I have OCD, or at least some form of it anyway. Now, there's the gap from the hourly chart, 293.24. This is a five-minute chart. It looks slightly different because it's a five-minute chart. The close of the candle on the five-minute chart is different than the hour. Doesn't matter. Here's the point. We never came in to fill the gap. It came up short. The low is 293.61. Look at it from a 15-minute chart perspective. Same routine. Is that bullish or bearish? Well, we discuss this all the time. When they hit the gap and take off, that's bullish. And when they miss the gap by a little and take off, that's bullish. When they go down into the gap and start hovering down there, that's not bullish. How'd you know this was good for sure? How'd you know that was a reversal? It's in the course. I teach it. It doesn't matter whether we're looking at a 15-minute chart or any other chart. It shows up all over the place. Doesn't work 100% of the time. Nothing does. But again, it's the 80-20 rule. It works the majority of the time. Let's look at things from a different perspective. I move the line to 294.95. What is that number? That was the old high. So here's the way I would look at this, and this is totally Monday morning quarterback. I'm just giving you what I see here after the fact. And let's make something totally clear. There's nobody out there that shorted the open, bought it right before the gap, and rode it up to the end of the day. It doesn't work that way. This was a rodeo. So here's the way I see it. They Gap higher, we have this huge rush of excitement at the open, and all of a sudden they begin to crap out, and the old highs don't really hold, and they begin breaking down. Everybody believes this is it. There's a reversal coming. They come up short of the gap. It's the trick trap fools and frustrate crew at work, no question about it. They make another high at the end of the day and then sell off to close below the original high made this morning. That's a rodeo. On days like today, when there's so much excitement and the market is back and forth like that, sometimes it's best to sit back and be a spectator. If you can't see yet what's happening in real time, and not necessarily in real time by the minute, What I'm saying is, in order to make a decision saying, hey, I see what's going on, I see that the odds on that they're going higher. If you can't see that and know where you're wrong, then on days like today, it's okay to be a spectator. Cash is a position. 
Let's change lanes a second, and I want to go back to the volume discussion, and I want to let you in on something that I never discussed before. I'm going to give it away. Weekly chart, breaking out to new highs. That's not what we came here for. What we came here for was volume. We'll discuss the weekly chart based on the weekly close in terms of price after Friday's close. Let's talk about volume, and I want to go back to why I was looking for a low at the end of May. Those of you that have been here for a while know that we were looking for a top. We got the top on May 1st. We were looking for a low just a few weeks later, and I want to show you one of the reasons, not the only reason, not even close to the only reason, but certainly one of the reasons this was a big puzzle piece for me, and I never discussed it because there's some things that are very, very hard to teach. You can't really put this kind of stuff in a course. It's where I separate the part science, part art form of this whole thing. Focus on the volume after we made the high. Here's the high. This is the May 3rd high. This is a weekly chart, so it's the week ending May 3rd, okay? So the volume there was pretty low. The volume there was 331 a million shares on the spider. The next week was a down week and it was 559 million shares. Then after that, it went down to 455 and it went down to 313. And you can see the volume was decreasing as we were going down in the market. I was saying we're looking for a low. This was one of my puzzle pieces. I think that's pretty valuable stuff. There's really no book on volume. You have to take the volume. You have to look at what's happened in the past, what the market was doing, and what the volume was doing in the past. And that's really the only way that you can infer anything. It's a puzzle piece. It's never the end-all, be-all. A heavy volume candle like this one doesn't have to be the last candle. In this case, you don't know that's going to be exhaustion volume until after the fact. The following day could have been another down day on bigger volume. There's other things we look at. This is a weekly chart, but just the concept in and of itself, I think you get what I'm discussing. You don't know that kind of thing till after the fact, but that's how we use each chart independent of one another. And when they all come together, when the daily chart says one thing and the weekly chart says the same thing and the hourly chart begins to say the same thing and the shorter term charts begin to say the same thing, you see how it all begins to come together. That's how the puzzle gets assembled. What do we see when we go over to Camp IWM? Well, it does tell us a little bit of information, certainly above the moving averages. We've closed now two days in a row above the moving averages. If you want to count the prior day, it's really three days as we got into those moving averages. The candle today doesn't look necessarily inviting. And what else I notice is that the IWM was up about four-tenths of one percent. When I look over at the SPY chart, I notice it was up just short of 1%. The S&P cash index was up 0.95% to be exact. So there's a couple of takeaways. Number one is we've gotten above the moving averages. That was positive for sure. We were trapped for a while and we said the longer they stay trapped, the more likely they're going to be to trade up into and potentially through the moving averages. Here we are through the moving averages. Where did the market find a high today? Well, the high is actually at 156.18. I just threw that line in there. 
and now I've corrected it because of the OCD. And the high in the IWM today happens to be 156.22. By four cents, made a new high, and then reversed and sold off, but finished the day again above, well above, yesterday's high. So you can't look at that as a negative. The volume wasn't reversal-type volume, so we're just going to take it at face value and say the IWM was not leading anything to the upside. However, it was positive. It's of note. It's above the moving averages. We can't look at it negative. It has to be at least bullish. Moving on down to the transportation department. Here we are. Similar story. Not quite as good as the IWM, yet a positive day up 71 on the transports, about 7 tenths of 1% into the moving averages, but not up and through the moving averages. What's the first thing that jumps out at me on this chart? A breakdown candle high right here. Didn't get there today, could get there tomorrow. Happens to coincide with a 50-period moving average. If, in fact, we had another big update across the markets, for example, tomorrow... Where would the transports go? Would they stop at the 50-period moving average, or could they trade through, and where would be the next area of likely overhead resistance? We're going to keep it simple. We're going to pick out the likely candidates, which are pivot highs, which are where the market tells us those prices are important. So they come around 10,600, maybe slightly below. There's one here. There's another up here. There's another even higher into the 10,600s. So if it's a melt-up, if we're in a panic buying scenario where everybody's looking to buy whatever they can get their hands on, like their hair's on fire, those are your next levels of overhead resistance in the transports if they get above the 50-period moving average. And let's think about it logically for a second. The 50-period moving average comes in around 10,500. What are we talking about? Around 10,600. Where'd we close today? Around 10,400. It's just like taking one step at a time. Incremental moves. In this case, they just happen to be in about 100 point increments, give or take. There's nothing technical about that. It's just me looking at the chart, identifying what looks to be common sense. And guess what? Even if I put the common sense in my back pocket for a moment and only use the science mathematics, a calculator, all that stuff, guess what? Comes out to the same exact thing. Anybody that's taken the course, go ahead and do it yourself, and you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. Those pivots are no accident, they're no coincidence, and they didn't have any meaning whatsoever before this low was put in, but the pivots were there. How do you like them apples? Anybody think the market is still totally random? It's not. I can't tell you what's going to happen at 10 o'clock tomorrow morning, but we can use the tools we have to our advantage to certainly do way better than most. How about the VIX? What's going on with the VIX? Early this morning, and this was before the open, this was like 7 o'clock this morning, the VIX was all the way down at 13.19. Here's an hourly chart. There's your low. 13.19, 7.15 a.m. this morning. And when the market went the other way, the VIX went all the way up to 16. Go figure that spread from early morning to just after lunchtime. That's not normal. That's another rodeo. Am I interested in the VIX in the 14s? Yes. 
Was I interested in the VIX below 14? Yes. Was I able to buy the VIX below 14? No. But I did buy long-term calls on the VIX this morning. Everybody's definition of long-term is different, so I'll just tell you up front, I took September expiration on the VXX. For quite a while, we were saying that the VIX was bearish and was going lower, and it certainly went lower. I didn't think it would get down to 13, but I didn't think the SPY would close at a new all-time high either. Remember what I always say. The market can go a lot farther in either direction than most people think it ever can. It just did it to me. The Qs, top heavy weighted, NASDAQ 100, not at new highs. So again, we have to note this. It's definitely a puzzle piece. It's on the table. No new highs for the IWM. No new highs for the transports. No new highs for the Qs. I'm going to run down a short laundry list of stocks we know. These are companies we know. There's no rhyme or reason. They just happen to be on my screen. I'm just going to start clicking names and keep the daily chart up. Not a new high. Apple, next up. Not a new high. Yes, that's the short at 204. Facebook, not a new high. Reversal candle the other day. Retracement against the other day's high is the trade. That is a short opportunity. If they make a new high, it's wrong. The high the other day was 194.53. Any daily close above that high and that trade is off the table. It didn't work. Goldman Sachs, not a new high. Just wanted to rotate into a different sector. Here is part of the financial sector. So we're not at a new high. Netflix, not at a new high. Above the moving averages is okay, but not at a new high. Google, not even close to a new high. Baidu, a China name. Baba, Alibaba, not at a new high. JD.com, not a new high. JP Morgan, not a new high. Bank of America, not a new high. We've been looking at the XLE. ExxonMobil is obviously a component of the XLE. Not even close. Johnson & Johnson, that's okay. Very strong. It's not a momentum name, though. Who's trading Johnson & Johnson? Nobody's trading Johnson & Johnson. People, mutual funds, pension funds, hedge funds, whatever funds, they own Johnson & Johnson. They buy Johnson & Johnson to use it as a parking garage sometimes. Here's another parking garage, Procter & Gamble. So we're looking around the horn and we're seeing the names that we see each and every day are not making new highs. The names nobody talks about is making new highs. They're all in the S&P. Maybe not everything I showed you, but you get the concept. Here's one of the largest components of the S&P, Microsoft. It's about 4% of the S&P. Apple is like 3.5%. Amazon is 3%. Facebook and Johnson & Johnson, J.P. Morgan, Google, ExxonMobil, they all come in at about 1.5%. So how deep do we have to look to find all the stocks that are at new highs? The answer is pretty deep. I find it interesting. Doesn't mean we know where the S&P is going tomorrow. I just think it's interesting information. You're training your mind to look for certain things. You have to look places nobody else is looking when i see the majority of stocks that are not making new highs it's not confirming the breakout in the s p what am i thinking i'm not thinking short term i'll use the other tools that we discuss all the time 
to go with the short-term decision-making. But when I see this kind of stuff in the back of my mind, for the longer term, it's not confirming the breakout. It's telling us there's trouble down the line. Doesn't have anything to do with how you trade individual stocks from day to day or week to week, whether you're swing trading or day trading. It's just the concept of looking at the market as a whole and saying, hey, what's going on under the hood? Are there parts in there starting to wear out? Let's get back in the lane and we'll take a look at the XLF. Anything good or bad with the XLF? Not necessarily either or. It was up about one half of 1%. We tested the 50 period moving average, but nothing has changed from yesterday to today, from the day before, other than the fact that we dipped below, but had a very good close the day before. Nothing's really changed in the XLF. As long as we remain and stay above those moving averages, it can certainly work its way higher. Where is the Friday close going to come in? Very, very important. You can see how we're creeping up. The high today was 27.53. We're looking for a specific number. It's 27.47. A weekly close above 27.47 under normal garden variety market conditions is going to send the XLF higher. We've been using the XLF to our advantage. If the XLF where the financials are not melting down, the market is unlikely to melt down. The XLF has been above all these moving averages. We talk about it every single day, except once I forgot. The SMH, nice solid update over 1% today in the SMH, right into the 50 period moving average, was rejected, but that doesn't mean it's bearish. We're testing the old highs. We're testing the pivot that was made here. We're testing these in here. If the market can close, the SMH can close above the 50-day moving average, that's going to be positive. That will be bullish. Last couple of days, what did we talk about in the SMH? We talked about the potential of an ABC pattern. Well, guess what? Once above the high of the A leg, the pattern is officially complete. So we're above and got above today the high of the A leg that pattern is officially complete. Doesn't mean we have to go lower. It just means that we don't have to talk about the ABC anymore. It actually took place, developed, it worked. It was another rodeo ride. I mean, look at this deep retracement really, really quick. And then this rocket ride higher really, really quick. You can't catch that. Very difficult to catch that. You have to get lucky to catch that. Where's gold going? Oh, my root. I don't cover gold every day, but the funny part is we talked about this. We didn't talk about today, meaning this, but we talked about the fact that gold was breaking out to the upside. Where's it going? Well, it's going to keep going higher into the 1400s. I have some numbers. They're close by in relation to where we are now, like 1413. And there's others. 1400, you would think, would be a natural area of resistance. And guess what? Today, they came up about three bucks short. That happens. You know what that is. When you bring up the weekly chart, you can see pretty clear, you should see pretty clear, that with all that went on in here, that is a natural area of resistance. The chart, or gold in this case, essentially broke down from here, right? This was a breakdown. This was a bullish flag pattern that didn't work. It failed and we broke down. 
So the same energy that would have normally been released to the upside, how often was then released in the other direction, in the southern direction. Now, what are we doing? Coming back to test a former breakout or former breakdown area. In this case, it was a breakdown, so we came back to test the breakdown area. Now, where exactly we stop is a different ball game altogether. And the nearest number I have that's above the round number of 1400 is 1413. I wouldn't necessarily be getting in front of this freight train right now. The question is, or at least one of the questions is, what's going on here? Is this all because of the Fed easy money policy? Is this a coordinated central bank global easy money policy? Is this gold reacting? Is this everybody running to buy gold because the Fed and other banks around the world are going to print money? I don't know. You have to ask the people buying gold why they're buying gold. Likely story is they're buying it because other people are buying it. Nobody really knows a story. We only have stories and we choose to believe them or not believe them. For me, I don't care what the story is. What I care about is that I missed that move. My goodness. Here's the 30-year interest rate, the treasury bond interest rate. Now, it kind of looks like the inverse of gold a little bit, doesn't it? Not totally, but of late. Here's gold, kind of shimmied around, and then it took off to the upside. And if we go back to that bond chart, you see it kind of shimmied around and then took off to the downside. I'm not trying to compare the two, and I'm not suggesting a correlation. I'm just looking at charts. And I'm saying, check the TLT out. 133.11. I don't remember when I put that on the chart. I don't know if you've seen that before or not. We've looked at this before, so I know we've talked about the 111.50. We talked about it as 112, 112.50. On a monthly chart, we don't have to be precise to the dollar on a hundred and something dollar stock. TLT is not really a stock, but that's not the point. Now, 133.11 is another area on the chart that I've identified, and I know that's been there for a long time. It wasn't put there today. I don't remember when I put that on the chart. But here's the reason why I'm harping on it. Look at the 10-year treasury note. A lot of traders use the 10-year treasury note as a gauge of something or other. Whether they're trading in the bond market or they're doing something else, everybody seems to look at the 10-year. They discuss the rate of the 10-year on TV. So we want to know what the 10-year is. Guess what? It's 2%. It's a pretty big, fat, round number. Now, the 133.11, and forget the fact that you have an 11 there. Just call it 133 on the TLT chart. If that was there before today and before yesterday, how in the world does that coincide with a 10-year at exactly 2% at the same time? I don't think that's an accident. I don't think it's a coincidence. In fact, I'm pretty damn sure that's going to keep me up tonight. Crude oil. I've got some requests to discuss crude oil. Here's crude oil responding to, quote-unquote, the Iran stuff. The drone getting shot down. The market goes up. Crude oil goes up. Nobody in the stock market seems to think it's a big deal. That's fine. But the people in the global oil market seem to think it's a big deal. So they send oil up 6%. Hey, you doing? Where's it going? That's the $100,000 question. It jumps out at the chart at me. It's obvious. I can't help myself. It's just 
59. If it's 59 and a quarter, that's fine. If it's 59 and a half, that might happen too. If it's 58.90, I'm not sure. But it's 59 in and around 59. And for those of you who asked, that's the number. And this, my friends, is a perfect place to pull the ripcord today. I'm David Frost, my strategic forecast. Thanks for tuning in for another episode of Common Sense Market Analysis. My Strategic Forecast is hosted by David Frost. Subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast app, and please visit MyStrategicForecast.com for more information. My Strategic Forecast is common sense market analysis. Music